0: summer travel season is nearly here, which means millions of people
1: will be heading for national parks and national forests. As it turns out, a few of them won't be coming back.
0: Each year, hundreds of people are reported missing in our parks and forests. Most are eventually found, but there's a smaller category of cases that never get solved, including a few close to home. The I-Team's George Knapp is here with the story. George. It's not a revelation to say that people get lost out in the wilderness or in forest areas. We're talking about a different kind of mystery, though. Disappearances that are not caused by predator attacks or criminals hiding out there in the woods or just bad luck. A former cop has put together hundreds of case files regarding clusters of missing persons in national parks where the circumstances are flat-out strange, but don't expect any answers from the Park Service.
1: At the end of the night, I was staying in a a motel off the government, or off the Park Service land, and get a knock on the door. The person who
0: confided in law enforcement veteran David Palaides was a government employee who told one heck of a story about people who vanish in national parks, places like Yosemite, but also national forests, including the Toyabe, west of Las Vegas. In the years since the knock at the door, Politis has scoured small town newspaper archives and pestered federal agencies for records. He found so many cases of missing people that a planned book became two, filled with more than 400 cases of people who went into national parks but never came out.
1: People disappear in the wilds all the time and we're talking about something different. These were unusual things that don't make sense that happen to cluster together cluster together in three to four, sometimes as many as 20, 30 people missing at one location.
0: The individual cases are strange enough, Politis says, but stranger still were the reactions of federal agencies when he asked for public records.
1: And when we foia them, we got a response back that they don't keep any lists of missing people
0: the response was not only no but hell no he says so he began putting his own list together and discovered what appears to be nearly 30 clusters of disappearances in national parks and forests cases which meet a narrow set of odd characteristics the people who vanish often do so right under the noses of others in many cases of
1: kids their parents noses being parents And being responsible people, we understand there's no way my son or daughter wouldn't know the way back from being just down the road getting the ball. But it happens all the time. It happens all the time.
0: The missing defy logic. They hike uphill, for instance, often steep climbs. Children as young as two or three are found a day or two later many miles away and over mountain ranges.
1: Some kids are found in phenomenal distances away that would make no logical sense to any parent
0: weird things happen to their clothing the missing often shed their clothes right away even in bad weather clothes are found sometimes neatly folded but not the people
1: the ranger described to me if you were standing straight up and you just had your shirt or just had your pants on and you melted directly into your pants that's what it looked like to him the pants were laying on the ground in a very neat pile
0: Missing defy normal search and rescue practices. Bodies are found in places that are all but inaccessible, or they're found in the open in areas that were repeatedly searched earlier. Bloodhounds or other tracker dogs are often befuddled.
1: If the dog can't find a scent, that's a red flag. If a dog, a canine dog, a trained dog, is put on the scent at the point last seen, and it lays down and it doesn't want to track anymore, red flag. And that happens more than you think. Nevada
0: doesn't have a major cluster, but it has plenty of cases. Children who vanished around Lake Tahoe, in the center of the state near Tonopah, and at Mount Charleston. In 1966, six-year-old Larry Jeffrey of Henderson disappeared while playing with his two brothers, setting off a massive 16-day search by as many as 1,000 men. Former Sheriff Ralph Lamb remembers it clearly. Walked away from camp never did hear from him, never did see him, never did find him. We had
1: hundreds of people there working almost shoulder to shoulder. There's no large predators per se Um, so we can't worry about mammals taking him and he was in a fairly remote area where there's no vehicular access so there's no car abduction. This boy just walked into oblivion and in in an age where You have aircraft up looking for the boy. You have 800 people scouring the mountain. You should be able to find him. That coupled with if he was deceased, part of that uh, ongoing effort is bringing in cadaver dogs. The odor coming off the body, they should have found that. They didn't.
0: Other aspects of this mystery are even more bizarre, though difficult to explain in just a couple of minutes. Example, many of the vanished who are found alive are kids too young to speak, or kids who can't communicate because of disabilities. Some who are found alive say they can't remember what happened to them. In his books, David Politis reports on why some obvious explanations simply don't apply here, but he stops short of giving his own theory or explanation. Politis says he doesn't want to scare people away from visiting parks, but thinks people need to be made aware. A month ago, we asked the Park Service and the Forest Service for their
2: lists of local missing persons cases. In an attempt to escape face masks and social distancing, a record number of Americans have surged to visit national parks in 2020 and 2021. With the expectation of clean air, open space, and solitude, these visitors are unaware of another danger yet to be uncovered. There are roughly 640 million acres of federal land considered to be National Parks and Forests. These lands are overseen by the National Park Service on behalf of its parent agency, the Department of the Interior. It's a lot of territory to cover and manage, and it's a lot of area to get lost in. One expert has conservatively estimated 1,600 missing persons cases within the United States National Parks and Forest Systems. Others have estimated it could be between two to ten times as many. David Politis is the leading civilian expert who began researching, tracking, and exposing these cases. Politis is a former lawman and investigative journalist who received a tip from a Yosemite National Park ranger. The ranger expressed concern about how missing persons cases were being handled. The ranger complained that the National Park Service would mobilize resources, coordinate manpower, and spare no expense while the cases were the focus of media attention. However, as publicity and search and rescue efforts faded, the cases were forgotten. Politis filed Freedom of Information Act requests petitioning for a list of disappearances, He received a response from an attorney who initially balked at his request until stating that no central database existed. He proposed that one could be created for the Yosemite National Park, but Politis would need to cover the costs, estimated at $34,000. Additionally, they offered to complete a master database for all 383 national parks, for a fee of $1.4 million. For this reason, there is no way of knowing how many have gone missing because, troublingly, there is no centralized registry or database to catalog and track these disappearances. This discovery is what led Politis to form the Missing 411 and Can-Am Missing Projects. The first book, Missing 411 Western United States, sparked national interest, and Politis has since written more than half a dozen additional books developed TV series and documentaries, and spoken publicly about National Park disappearances. These books are titled after the number that can be dialed by Americans to reach the local information directory. Therefore, the title Missing 411 is supposed to be interpreted as quote, Missing Information, unquote. In these books, Politus has collected and compiled cases according to geographic clusters. These outlier cases could not be explained by animal predation, mental illness, criminality, voluntary disappearance or other causes, and yet they shared uncanny and unexplained commonalities. These profile points have changed over the years. For example, some that were described by Politis in an interview with Art Bell in 2015 were not included in his most recent documentary, Missing 411, The Hunted. Therefore, the following list may seem longer than usual for those familiar with the topic. It's said that the unexplained and strange disappearances in our national parks share many of the following characteristics. This is the composite Missing 411 profile. Victims who go missing are usually on either extremes of the intellectual spectrum ranging from the highly intelligent to those who are struggling with mental disabilities. Victims who go missing are usually on either extremes of the physical spectrum, ranging from the very fit and active to those who are disabled or sedentary. The time of disappearances is often mid to late afternoon. Commonly, there's geographical clustering with multiple disappearances occurring in the same area. Severe and inclement weather coincide with the disappearance or at the beginning of the search. Victims often go missing near large bodies of water, boulder fields, or berry bushes. If the victim is recovered, they have no memory or they have surreal narratives to explain their disappearance. The cause of death is often undetermined. Bodies are recovered in areas that have already been thoroughly covered by search and rescue. Search and rescue teams will often be unable to find any tracks or, if tracks are found, they will somehow vanish mid-path. Canine units will be unable to pick up a scent or, if they can pick up the scent, they will not pursue it. One or both shoes are often missing from the body of the victim despite often traveling great distances, the bare feet of the victim will be surprisingly unscathed. Lastly, victims are often found in areas that are difficult if not impossible to reach. On the morning of March 14, 2014, Dr. James McGrogan hiked into the wilderness outside of Vail, Colorado with a group of physicians. He had recently accepted a job as an emergency room physician in Indiana, and he was ready for a wintry trip into the mountains with friends. The group embarked on Sprattle Creek Trail toward Iceman Hut. They brought split boards, a snowboard that splits into two halves to allow for cross-country skiing when traveling uphill or touring. The trail was a steep climb through nine miles of difficult terrain. The area was blanketed in snow, and the path was well-compacted and easy to identify. It may have been a difficult trek, but McGrogan and his friends were experienced and well-prepared. McGrogan himself was in great physical condition, previously completing a marathon run. He was equipped with a working cell phone, extra battery, GPS tracker, food, and water supplies in his pack. The group stopped to take a break, after a few hours but McGrogan pushed onward they planned to meet further up the trail however this is the last time McGrogan was seen alive the group continued on the trail after only a few minutes but they didn't encounter McGrogan at the designated meeting spot and upon reaching the Iceman hut there was still no sign of McGrogan Eagle Valley Sheriff's Department searched on foot and snowmobile three helicopters assisted in the search and they covered over 18 square miles for the next five days until bad weather drove them to end the search. 20 days later, hikers found McGrogan at the bottom of an icefall in Booth Falls, 4.5 air miles east from Iceman Hut. The area had already been searched multiple times by search and rescue. Authorities reported that parts of Vale could be seen from where McGrogan's body was recovered. He was found with head trauma and a broken femur, partially undressed. He was not wearing his coat, gloves, or boots. McGrogan would have had to climb and descend nearly 5,200 feet in steep elevation, requiring a path that likely traversed 10 to 16 miles, switchbacking to safely navigate the slopes. He would have had to cross Middle Creek and fight his way through snowdrifts up to 30 feet tall. McGrogan meets many of the criteria outlined in the missing 411 profile. He was intelligent and physically fit. He disappeared in mid-afternoon, and his search was halted by severe weather. He was found at the bottom of an icefall in an area that had already been thoroughly searched, and he seemed to have vanished off a clear trail with no visible tracks. He had removed his boots before the incident, and he was in a dangerous and difficult place to reach. Why didn't McGrogan activate his GPS transponder? Politis confirmed the area where McGrogan was found had cellular reception, so why didn't McGrogan dial for an emergency rescue? Bart Schlier was a practiced outdoorsman an accomplished wildlife biologist with experience in the grizzly bear recovery project in Yellowstone and the tiger conservations in Siberia. Paradoxically, Schlier was also an avid hunter and he was prone to spending weeks or even months in the wilderness bow hunting wildlife. Schleier was last seen alive by the pilot who flew his chartered float plane to Reed Lakes in the Canadian Yukon Territory on September 14, 2004. The plane would return two weeks later to pick up the hunter, but he was nowhere to be found. Schlier was well prepared for his trip. He brought three action packer crates of gear. One crate was filled with canned food that would last a couple of weeks. The second crate was filled with his clothing for the trip and the third contained his camping gear, including a good tent, sleeping bag, inflatable boat, and more. After he was reported missing on September 30th, Mounties from the RCMP in Whitehorse, over 175 miles away, investigated his campsite. They found the remains of a meal at his camp, but the food crate was secured. They discovered his boat a half a mile from the camp in the brush shore of the lake. It had been secured at both ends in the thick brush. With the weather deteriorating, the Mounties speculated that Schleyer had hiked to the Klondike Highway. However, his friends were adamant that this was not a possibility as he had not contacted any of them. Dissatisfied with the RCMP's response, a friend of Schleyer's in Whitehorse, named Dib Williams, returned to the campsite with a friend. They found Schleyer's camp, his tent had been knocked down, and they discovered his backpack, bear spray, VHF radio, and knife on site. Williams and his friend returned the next day to continue their search around the boat. Less than 200 feet in the woods, they discovered Schleyer's bow, with handmade arrows and a buckskin quiver. They found a bag full of gear. Many speculated this was a blind and Schlier had been sitting on his pack, prepared to call and hunt moose. In broadening their search, the two found a camouflage mask with some hair and blood inside. On October 3rd, Mounties returned to the scene with conservation officers and civilians to begin a grid search. Further searching turned up a baseball cap, camouflage pants, and camera these were not damaged, scratched, torn, or bloody. Bones were discovered 200 feet away. The teeth were used to identify the bones as those of Schleyer. Speculation centered on a bear or wolf attack. However, there was no sign of a death struggle nearby. The surrounding area was covered in undisturbed moss. The clothing would have been damaged and soaked with blood. Additionally, scat from bears and wolves nearby were collected and tested. While they did contain bone, there was no sign of fabric. In other instances of bear attacks on humans, clothing is often found mixed with remains in the bear's scat. In other cases, bears will cache their prey, meaning they will bury it for storage and return at a later date. but there was no such cache nearby. Lastly, bears do not seek to incapacitate or slay their prey. They will simply begin to eat, whether their prey is alive or not. This would have led to a gruesome and messy scene, but searchers could find nothing of the sort. His campsite and bag were left undisturbed, but attacking animals would likely return to investigate, especially for the canned goods. Bears can and will eat through tin cans. Schlier meets many of the criteria outlined in the missing 411 profile. He was a bright and accomplished outdoorsman who was physically capable of withstanding the toughest climbs. The inclement weather of the Canadian tundra impacted search efforts by both the RCMP and Schlier's friends. He disappeared near the Reed Lakes in an area that had previously been searched by the RCMP. The cause of death could not be determined. Some speculated that he suffered a bear attack, but there were no clear signs of a death struggle, no fabric in nearby grizzly scat, and no tooth marks in the recovered portion of Schleyer's skull. Schleyer was an avid outdoorsman and experienced hunter with a past of recovering grizzly bears. With that in mind, how could he have suffered a surprise bear attack? How had his clothing been removed without claw or tooth marks? And with no sign of a struggle or remains nearby, what happened to him in those woods? On June 4th, 2017, Mike Peterson headed out for a lone hike in West Yellowstone. He wore an orange hunting vest and waders, and he was well equipped packing bear spray, food, and a firearm. He began down a familiar trail, one he had hiked with his children in the past. In fact, he was so familiar with the trail that he knew where he would have cell service. Throughout the hike, he texted his girlfriend, Bonnie Sanger, who was at a different area of the park. He arranged for her to pick him up at 6 p.m., and they would start a fire, cook dinner, and relax. Sanger arrived at the arranged location at 6 p.m., but there was no sign of Peterson. She waited for him, and at 7.20 p.m., she heard four gunshots in the woods. She called the local sheriff's office, and a search-and-rescue operation began at 10 p.m. Over 40 individuals participated in the search-and-rescue including canine units and helicopters. They combed the park in search of Peterson but severe weather impaired the search, grounding the helicopters for a time. It wasn't until three days later that they found Peterson's body in Beaver Creek. Searchers found Peterson's orange vest and bear spray half a mile away from the river. Upon further searching, they discovered his pack and firearm in a second location. Some speculated that Peterson had been surprised and driven into the water by a bear, but the search and rescue team never uncovered bear tracks around Peterson's body or belongings. Mike Peterson matches many of the missing 411 profile points. He was a physically fit outdoorsman with backcountry experience, and he was familiar with the area. He disappeared in the late afternoon, and his disappearance coincided with Jeff Murphy, another hiker who disappeared from Yellowstone in that same week. The search for Mike Peterson was impaired by severe weather, and he vanished into Beaver Creek. The Sheriff's Office speculated that Peterson had crossed the creek early in the morning, but snow melt upstream had dramatically increased the height and speed of the water when he returned. They guessed he had been swept off his feet and drowned. But that doesn't explain why Peterson would have left his belongings behind if he planned to return to Spanger. As an experienced outdoorsman, he had enough supplies and means of communication to simply signal for help and wait. While Peterson was recovered, many questions still remain and will likely never be answered. David Horsey and Frederick Hardesty went camping on the North Nahanni River in the Northwest Territories of Canada on June 12, 2005. The two friends traveled to the area on a wilderness hunting trip, and they stayed 125 kilometers north of Fort Simpson. They were described as experienced bushmen, comfortable in the rugged outdoors. They were set to explore the Nahanni Park Reserve, which was christened in 1976. Its name comes from the indigenous language of the Dene people, who occupied the area for thousands of years. Their oral history contains many references to the Naha tribe, which means the people over there. The Naha lived in the mountains and regularly descended into the lowlands on raids. However, it's been recorded that these people mysteriously and abruptly vanished from the area. Geographically, the reserve contains part of the Mackenzie Mountains and Virginia Falls, It is largely composed of backcountry terrain, thousands of square miles that have been largely unexplored. Even now, some areas remain accessible only by air, water, or arduous hiking. Rod Gunderson, a mutual friend, offered his cabin to Horsey and Hardesty, and when he left them on June 12th, both men were still alive. Four days later, he noticed smoke, from small fires as he returned to find the two men missing. When he tried the doors to the cabin, he found they were locked. Inside, it was still well supplied with food and firewood. Concerningly, the men had left their firearms behind. On June 18th, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were called to investigate. They could find no reason for why the men had abandoned the security of the cabin without their firearms. Search teams were called to the area and they focused their efforts on the Nahanni River. They employed canines and aerial search units equipped with thermal imaging, and their search continued until June 23rd with no results. Joseph Horsay, David's stepbrother, participated in the search party, and he claimed to have found strange things at the Gunderson cabin. He told reporters, quote, there were bullet shots all over the place, and there was a gunshot in the floor." Unquote. The search operation was continued by friends and family, and on June 27th, David Horsey's body was found in thick brush. A corporal of the RCMP, Al Shepard, confirmed that the area had already been well searched several times. Strangely. Horsey's body was found with burns on his hands and arms. The search was initiated again, and the authorities returned with canine units on July 5th. On July 8th, a search team found Hardesty floating in the Nahanni River, nearly 20 kilometers away from the cabin. This area had already been combed by searchers in canoes and on foot. After autopsy, Horsey was determined to have died of hypothermia, and Hardesty had drowned. This case fits several of the missing 411 profile points. The two men were in good physical condition, as they were avid outdoorsmen. The victims went missing near the Nahanni River, which became the focus of the search efforts early on. Both bodies were recovered in areas that had already been thoroughly searched. Despite the remote location, the men had left no trail exiting the cabin, and although search teams had explored the areas where bodies had been found, canine units never uncovered their scent. On September 13, 2013, Joe Elliott Blakesley, and Amy Linkert traveled to the Craters of the Moon National Monument in Idaho, located in the Snake River Plain. It's one of the youngest volcanic areas in Idaho, and it contains the best-preserved flood basalt area in the continental U.S. It's a vast ocean of lava flows, and it can make for treacherous terrain. Elliot Blakesley was an Idaho native. She earned her B.S. and Master's degree in Zoology before earning her M.D. She was a physician at the Snake River Correctional Institution and her friend Amy Linkert was a retired teacher. The two were in their 60s, but they were active and familiar with the outdoors. Linkert's niece described the two as avid hikers and survivalists. On September 19th, They were spotted at a campground nearly 18 miles away. The two didn't return on September 20th as planned, and when Jo failed to show up for work on the 24th, her co-workers reported her missing. Their vehicle was discovered at Tree Moulds Trail, and it contained their dogs, cell phones, and other supplies, indicating the two women expected to only be away for a short time. Family members assured investigators that the women would not stray far from the vehicle or break off the trail. At the time, the federal government was shut down, but ten furloughed park service rangers searched on foot anyway. An official search didn't begin until nearly a week later. Canine teams and foot patrols joined the ten searchers as the government exited shutdown. The National Guard, sent two Black Hawk helicopters and planes participated in aerial searches for the two women. They spent 6,000 volunteer hours looking, traversing difficult terrain in unpredictable weather. In the summer months, the sun bakes the black lava flows and surface temperatures can reach as high as 170 degrees Fahrenheit. On September 25th, the search area was expanded and searchers discovered Amy Linkert's body two miles off the trail of the rugged lava rock. An official cause of death was never released. It was later determined that a storm hit the area around the same time the women had arrived. Only a few days after they were reported missing, another thunderstorm delayed search efforts. It wasn't until nearly a month later that they found the body of Joe Elliott Blakesley. She was two and a half miles from the vehicle. Elliott Blakesley was found near the open edge of a lava flow, and recovery of her body was delayed due to difficult terrain and poor weather. Her body was in an area that had been thoroughly searched by helicopters over the previous month. Later rescuers determined that canine search teams had been within 200 yards of her body. One of the handlers recalls the dog pursuing a scent in the area, then seemingly losing or refusing to continue. What drove these experienced outdoors women to leave their supplies and dogs in their vehicle? Why did they strike out from the safety of the trail? This case fits several of the missing 411 profile points. The victims were well-educated and familiar with the outdoors their disappearances weren't the only ones to occur in the area. Richard Willis Bendele disappeared from the area in 1996. He was an experienced outdoorsman who had undergone a recent divorce a year prior, but he was happy and thriving. He called his mother via a portable phone after a hike and he told her his truck had broken down. He suspected that someone else was in the area and they had tampered with his vehicle. That night, six inches of snow fell. Upon searching the area, only two gloves and one black tennis shoe were recovered from Richard's location. When police discovered his vehicle, they found the battery could turn over and one of the windows was smashed out. The search party included volunteers on foot, canine units, planes, and helicopters, but Bendele was never heard from again. Inclement weather occurred near the time of the disappearance and delayed the search efforts. The cause of their deaths was left undetermined. The location of both Linkert and Elliot Blakesley's bodies were in areas that had already been well searched. Canine units could not find a scent for Linkert, and they seemed to temporarily pursue Elliot Blakesley's before resigning from the effort altogether. Terrence Woods Jr. was a freelance filmmaker who was working for Raw TV, a production company filming the Gold Rush series for Discovery Channel. The show followed David Turin as he explored disused mines across the western U.S. On October 5, 2018, they were filming at the Penman Mine in Idaho County, near the ghost town of Oro Grande. They were in the larger Nez Pierce Clearwater National Forest when Woods disappeared during a day shoot on location. He has not been seen since. Woods grew up in Maryland, near Washington, D.C., but moved to London to pursue a master's degree. Upon graduating, he worked on high-profile British shows, most notably The Voice UK. He was familiar with frequent traveling and shooting on location. He had participated in previous shoots in the wilderness of Turkey and Alaska, and his backcountry experience was non negligible. He had no history of anxiety or depression. However, friends say he was not excited to travel for this shoot. In the early morning of his disappearance, he texted his father that he would be cutting short his time on the shoot by a number of weeks. His father thought this was also uncharacteristic and Woods provided no explanation. The afternoon of the disappearance, Woods was talking with a miner before excusing himself to use the restroom. A nearby associate producer, Simon Gee, said he had an odd feeling shortly before discovering Woods' headset on the ground. Worried the man had fallen off a nearby cliff, the associate producer approached the edge and saw Woods sprinting down the steep incline and disappearing into the tree line of the nearby forest. The associate producer told Woods' father that Woods had been running faster than he had seen anyone run before. A few of those on set tried to pursue Woods, but they stumbled on the incline and difficult terrain, returning bloodied and bruised. Simon Gee told Woods' father, quote, Due to my professional SAR training, I stopped running after him out of fear that he'd be further scared." Guy's story was further corroborated by a local woman. Woods left behind his backpack, including a camera bag, pens, over-the-counter painkillers, cough drops, charger, tactical knife, and stun gun. However, he had his phone in his possession when he disappeared. Woods was reported missing that evening, but the search party couldn't be mobilized until the following day. Canine units, ground teams, all-terrain vehicles, and helicopters with FLIR, or forward-looking infrared, were dispatched to search the area. Canines followed his scent down the cliff and through the forest to a road at the base of the cliff. There, his scent went completely cold. The search continued for seven days, but no trace of Woods was ever found. The search teams claimed that if he had been hurt or injured, they would have found him. In the middle of the search, heavy rain and snow hindered air support. On the same day in October of 2018, Connie Johnson, aged 76, disappeared from the same area. She was working for Ritchie Outfitters as a camp cook. She was 5'7", 140 pounds, and she had formerly worked as a U.S. Forest Service Ranger. More recently, she had taken to leading tours through the backcountry. She was in the Big Fog Mountains area at a camp that was only accessible by foot. A group of hunters left her and radioed the next day. They received a response from Johnson, but couldn't understand her message. They returned to the camp two days later and Johnson and her border collie, Ace, were missing. Upon the report of her disappearance, search teams were mounted on foot and horseback, with six canine units and aircraft, again equipped with FLIR devices. The active search was suspended on October 16, 2018, but her dog arrived at a ranger station three weeks later. After he was fed and checked, they flew the dog back to the search area hoping he could lead them to Johnson. The undersheriff reported that the dog had no interest in following any scent. No trace of Connie Johnson was ever found. These disappearances match several of the missing 411 profile points. Terrence Woods Jr. was well-educated with backcountry experience, and Connie Johnson was a former Forest Service Ranger. Both disappearances occurred sometime in the late afternoon, and they occurred in the same area of the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forest. Additionally, search and rescue teams were unable to discover any tracks for Woods or Johnson, and canine units were unable to pick up a scent. Rachel Lackaduck was a 28-year-old from Moses Lake, Washington. She was 5'4", 130 pounds, recently separated from her husband and living with her father. Although times had been tough, Lackaduck seemed in good spirits. On October 17th of 2019, she packed a backpack with her clothes and sleeping bag. She drove her white Jeep Cherokee to the Hidden Lake Trail in North Cascades National Park. She registered her hike at a ranger station parked her vehicle at the trailhead and struck out for the Hidden Lake Lookout Cabin. Her plan was to spend the night in the cabin for her 28th birthday. The day after, she planned to meet a friend in Bellingham, but she would never arrive. The trail was a little over 8 miles in length, but climbed a steep 3300 foot elevation. Around 4pm, two hikers encountered Lackaduck about 2.5 miles into her hike. They warned her that the trail was obscured by snow further ahead, and they had turned back due to poor conditions. They recalled that Lackaduck seemed to be poorly dressed for the hike, wearing only thermal tights and a long-sleeved shirt. A storm hit that afternoon, and when Lackaduck didn't show for her plans in Bellingham, her family reported her missing. Search teams began quickly, but heavy precipitation and fog impacted their efforts. They struggled even to reach the lookout cabin and when they finally did, the undersheriff reported that Lackaduck had likely never made it. Search efforts continued for 10 days with 137 volunteers, spending roughly 2,000 man-hours. Canine teams, foot patrols, and aerial units all participated in the search. Lackaduck's remains weren't discovered until August 14th, 2021. Her sleeping pad and backpack were discovered under a tree three hard miles away from the road and well off the trail the results of the autopsy have yet to be released lackaduck's disappearance meets several of the missing 411 profile criteria the time of her disappearance was in the late afternoon and it occurred in the geographical cluster within the north cascades national park severe and inclement weather coincided with her disappearance and interrupted the search. Near the Hidden Lake Trail is a large body of water. Search and rescue teams were unable to discover her tracks despite disappearing into fresh snow. Lastly, search and rescue dogs were unable to pick up her scent on the trail. Tom Simon Seth was a 66 year old man from Mount Vernon. He was described by friends as very athletic and familiar with the outdoors. After retiring from a career in education, he took up hiking with encouragement from two of his closest friends. Simon Seth was familiar with the Hidden Lake Trail. He had previously tried the trail multiple times, but he was always deterred by the snow. Less than a year, After Lackaduck's disappearance, Simon Seth tried the trail again on May 22nd. He told his wife he would return by 7pm that night. Two hikers on the mountain encountered Simon Seth on the trail. Just as with Lackaduck, these two hikers had turned back because conditions were worsening further ahead. It has been speculated that Simon Seth likely followed their footprints and made a choice to turn back as the snow worsened. His wife reported him missing, and two friends began to search the area that night. They had mountaineering experience and over 20 years of search and rescue experience between the two of them. They knew Simon Seth didn't have the equipment to survive the night, and they hurried to the site to find his car still parked at the trailhead. They searched the area until midnight, then slept nearby until the earliest sign of daybreak. Search and rescue teams from Skagit and other nearby municipalities participated in the search the next morning. Even units from the U.S. Border Patrol and Navy participated in the search. Helicopters from Spokane County flew the area while ground teams combed the difficult terrain. Search and rescue efforts were interrupted by snow and impaired visibility, however, they continued their search for days, looking for signs of an avalanche. Or particular tree wells where Simon Seth could have been swept away. On July 29, 2021, the Snohomish County Sheriff's Helicopter Team recovered remains that are thought to be those of Simon Seth. However, identification is still pending. The case of Tom Simon Seth fits several of the missing 411 profile points. He was described by friends as athletic and familiar with the outdoors. His disappearance occurred shortly after encountering the two hikers that afternoon. He disappeared from the same hidden lake trail in North Cascades near the same area where Lackaduck disappeared. Snow and impaired visibility occurred around the time of his disappearance and during search and rescue efforts. The Hidden Lake Trail is also near a large body of water. Search and rescue teams were unable to find any tracks from Simon Seth. Lastly, search and rescue dogs were unable to pick up any scent. On April 30th, 2019, detectives arrived at the Colonial Creek Campground in the North Cascades National Park after receiving a report from National Park Service Rangers that a vehicle had been parked in the area for several weeks. The vehicle was a Honda Element that belonged to Richie Collins. Collins was 6'1 and 275 pounds. He was a father and a 58-year-old veteran with 23 years of military service and experience in Border and Customs Patrol. He was not known to be a camper or hiker, He had high blood pressure and a bad knee. The vehicle showed clear signs of not having left the area and detectives discovered the key on the roof with no other sign of Collins. On the passenger seat, a map of the Cascade Mountains was open. While press and news reports are limited, Brittany Collins reported that New Halem Rangers searched a seven-mile radius around the vehicle bringing cadaver canine units as well. The Colonial Creek Campground has a reservoir over 300 feet deep, and it was reported to have been dredged in the search for Collins' body. After speaking with Collins' daughter, detectives discovered that his large collection of firearms was also missing. Over 35 weapons had been removed from the home. The gun cases themselves had been left behind and strewn about as if the place had been ransacked. Brittany Collins believes his collection was stolen and his car had been ditched in the area by the perpetrator or perpetrators. Collins' brother, Randy, reported that the apartment was in absolute disarray upon entering. This was uncharacteristic for Richie who was fastidious in nature. Collins was described as a loner, often keeping to himself. It wasn't uncommon for him to go days or weeks without being heard from. Reports of the last sighting of Richie place him with a small book bag leaving his home. But the timelines are mixed, placing the sighting in early March or late April. It was later discovered that the gun safe had been pried open, but detectives theorized these Primarks marks were made by Collins. A professional estate manager and trustee took over Collins' property, but in an unfortunate twist of fate, they quickly sold all his belongings and home. On July 6th, several children discovered partial remains near the 4th of July campground in North Cascades. It was five miles away from the parking lot at Diablo Lake, where Collins' car was found. Nearby were some of Colin's belongings, which were used to identify him. However, his head was missing. The autopsy has yet to be completed. Mark O'Neill and Kim Crumbo were half-brothers who traveled to Yellowstone National Park in September 2021. They had planned a four-night backcountry excursion to Shushone Lake, the second-largest lake in Yellowstone. When they didn't return as planned, a family member reported them missing on Sunday, September 19th. Crumbo, age 74, was from Ogden, Utah. He was a former Navy SEAL, and he had retired after two decades working for the National Park Service. He had worked as a river ranger, park ranger, and wilderness coordinator in Grand Canyon National Park. He had worked as an environmental activist, even into his retirement. He was a board member with the Rewilding Institute and a professional river guide. He was a trained and capable outdoorsman. There are surprisingly few details released about O'Neill. He was 67 and from Chimicum, Washington. He was also a retired National Park Service Ranger. On the day the men were reported missing, Yellowstone received its first major snowstorm. In the aftermath, authorities located a vacant campsite and abandoned gear on the south side of the Shoshone Lake. Additionally, they discovered canoes, paddles, and personal flotation devices, along with personal effects on the east shore of the lake. On Monday, September 20th, the body of Mark O'Neill was located. The area is prone to high winds and the average water temperature is 48 degrees Fahrenheit. One park service ranger estimated the survival time is only 20-30 to 30 minutes at this temperature. An autopsy later determined that O'Neill had succumbed to exposure and was overtaken by hypothermia. However, Crumbo remains missing. Interagency search and rescue teams continued to search. They swept all trails in the area and boats combed the entire shoreline of the lake, gritting the water by helicopter. The Submerged Research Center utilized sonar equipment to search for clues in the water. Canine teams from Western Montana Search Dogs continued to search for Crumbo even as the rescue mission transitioned into a recovery mission on September 24th. Crumbo and O'Neill were both knowledgeable outdoorsmen with decades of experience. They were familiar with and capable of meeting the demands necessary for long hiking and canoeing trips. The year's first snowstorm hit the area as search efforts were just beginning to mobilize. The half-brothers disappeared near the large Shushone Lake. A full loop around this lake runs over 23 miles. Search and rescue teams found no trails leading away from the shoreline where O'Neill was found and and search-and-rescue canine units uncovered no scent. Joel Thomason is a 31-year-old from Dinair, California. He was employed by the U.S. Army Reserve, and he was an experienced outdoorsman visiting the Yosemite National Park for a solo hike on September 6th. He planned to travel to hike from Hetch Hetchy to Lake Eleanor a reservoir in the northwestern corner of the park. He planned to return on September 9th. Thomasin was familiar with Yosemite. He grew up in the area, and he hiked the park since he was a child. His co-workers and wife describe him as a planner, someone who's responsible and prepared. He was declared missing on September 11th by his wife, Amanda. The last reported sighting was on a trail near Hetch Hetchy. Over eleven agencies have participated in the search and rescue efforts for Thomasin, but no clues have been uncovered. Searches have been conducted by foot, boat, canine teams, and helicopter. However, it's almost as if Thomasin has vanished. Park Service Rangers have requested that hikers who traveled the Miguel Meadow, Lake Eleanor, or Hetch Hetchy areas during this time to share any information they may have. Hikers have been instructed to keep an eye out for Thomasin or any unattended gear. Thomasin is 5'10", with brown hair buzzed short. He was traveling with a yellow and gray backpack, sleeping bag, red inflatable kayak, and hammock. His wife has asked for prayers for her husband's safe return. Thomasin was intelligent, with two college degrees and extensive knowledge of the outdoors. Thomasin was young, a practiced hiker and canoeer, and he maintained his physical fitness as an Army reservist. This area in Yosemite is a geographical cluster with other recent nearby disappearances. In the summer months, solo hikers Fred Zalekar and James Youngblom disappeared from the area. More recently, Richard Judd, 69 years old, was hiking with a companion between the Low Merced Pass Lake and Red Peak Pass. He was separated from his companion during the hike, and he seemingly vanished from the area. Search and rescue efforts were extensive, however only a daypack was discovered. Rangers are investigating, but they have released no further information. The Hetch Hetchy Reservoir and Water System was Tomazin's main destination, as he was looking for a place to canoe. Search and rescue teams have failed to find any trace of Tomazin, and canine units have been incapable of discovering ascent. Dwayne Miles, age 78, was an avid hiker and outdoorsman from Beaver, Washington. He was reported missing after he failed to return from a day hike at the Graves Creek area of the Olympic National Park. Miles had extensive experience in the outdoors and he often traveled in the park alone. He preferred off-trail hikes as he often went out to look for shed elk antlers. He informed his friends that he intended to take an off-trail route south of the Graves Creek campground, exiting near the Graves Creek Corral. He was reported missing on the night of October 23, 2021. Search and rescue efforts were mobilized the next day, however a strong storm moved into the area, thinning search efforts. Miles' vehicle was discovered at the Graves Creek campground by a ranger and friend of Miles. The two continued the search, despite the storm. They hiked the 13-mile Enchanted Valley Trail and back, but they saw no sign of Miles. The weather cleared Monday, and search efforts began in earnest. More than a half a dozen search agencies, along with the U.S. Coast Guard, joined the search for Miles. Canine search units combed the area, but they found no scent. Verizon has volunteered to support communication efforts as the search continues. A spokesperson has described the area as difficult to search. It has a dense understory with thick vegetation and uneven wet terrain. Miles is 5'9 and 185 pounds. He has gray hair and blue eyes. He was last seen wearing black rain pants and a camouflage jacket. Miles was a capable outdoorsman who was comfortable navigating backcountry terrain. He was described as very fit, he was a skilled hiker who frequently traversed the difficult understory of northern Washington parks. He disappeared on a day hike before being reported missing that evening. Countless other hikers have disappeared in the Olympic National Park area, including Chet Hansen, Gil Gilman, John Devine and more. A strong storm delayed initial search efforts. Search and rescue teams struggled to find any tracks of Miles, and canine units could not find his scent. These cases have few leads and even fewer clues. The missing 411 profile does not solve or explain their cases. It only connects them. Some have proposed that cloaked beings stalk the woods, nicknamed Glimmermen. However, their background and purposes are unclear. Cave creatures, similar to the goblins of Hopkinsville, have been proposed because Politus' map of the missing closely resembles a map of the U.S. cave systems in our national parks.